The census has been using a lot of the same racial identity markers for a very long time now, even though they're not really accurate to communities. It's hard to put your entire identity into one box. But boxes are what the U.S. Census is all about. Breaking me down and saying, oh, you know, Jen Dierenwater is just an American Indian. That's actually taking away from the realities of who my people are. You know, I am a citizen of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. That is my tribe. That is my government. That is my people. And so for me, I, I don't identify as an American Indian. I'm going to check that box because I want to know that I'm counted. But I am Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma, and that's something very different. Jen Dearnwater is part of the United States indigenous population, specifically from the Cherokee tribe. She works as a journalist, mainly highlighting the issues her community faces, like the U.S. Census. It's a protocol as old as the country itself. So why does the U.S. keep getting it wrong? And how do politics come into play? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Every 10 years, the U.S. Census Bureau undertakes the massive task of counting every single person who lives in the country. That's almost 330 million people. The Bureau wants to know their gender, their race, where they live, and what resources they need. It's a requirement in the U.S. Constitution to make sure that federal funds are divided up proportionately. This year, even despite the coronavirus pandemic, the census count is going ahead. It's mostly online, so that falls within the social distancing guidelines we're all supposed to be following. But communities that live in remote areas of the country may not have strong internet access, and they rely on census workers, counting them in person. The Bureau has suspended field operations because of COVID-19, and it's not clear when they'll start back up. This dilemma complicates a process that was already far from perfect. Because even without a health emergency, a significant number of people are left out of the census every 10 years. And that's a problem. The consequences are, are pretty vast and severe. One of the most obvious ones is that you're then not given an appropriate uh, amount of congressional representation because that census data is used to determine congressional districts. Other things that can come into play are your voting rights. You know, census data tells us how many people live in an area, what languages do they speak. And so then that gets played into, you know, do you have ballots in your language? Do you have enough polling places? So the, those are sort of the most obvious consequences that a lot of people see. But there's so much more than that. Non-white ethnic groups especially tend to be undercounted in the census. That means less money for public schools and roads in communities that are already marginalized in the U.S. It can also mean less power in government because the census decides how many congressmen and women each district gets. Today, on National Census Day, we're talking about how mistrust, access issues, and politics cause these undercounts every 10 years and how it all affects one demographic the worse. Indigenous people, like Jen. You know, Native people are not really a race of people. We are distinct sovereign nations, and that's something different. You know, we have our own governments, languages, cultures, all of these things. And if we're not being counted, we're not being seen, then that's a very easy way for the United States government or state and municipal and county governments to say, well, these Natives don't exist. 
we can go in and take their land. We don't have to honor treaties. You know, it, it has a really wide, sprawling impact on us, as well as for our future generations. Indigenous communities in the United States already face unique struggles that even most other non-white ethnic groups can't relate to. This is Native America Calling. I'm Tara Gatewood. Throughout history, the taking of land through policy, coercion, and force is a common theme in the U.S. government's relationship with Native Americans. The U.S. government, there's a long history here of broken treaties. The sovereignty of Alaska's native communities was only recognized by the state in 2017. The local mountains take their name from the Ramapo Lenape Nation. But this field, barely an hour's drive from Manhattan, is all that's been left to them. For centuries, Native Americans have been pushed off their lands, often into infertile areas. The national government has repeatedly signed treaties with tribes and then disregarded them. And census counting is another way Native communities have been marginalized. A lot of times what would happen is the census enumerators would come to your home and they would decide for themselves what your race was. So if to them you appeared Black, then you were written down as Black. There were a lot of specific determinations around who got to be seen as Native and who didn't. And that was a problem for the Mashpee. Members of the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe live in Massachusetts, in the northeast of the United States. On Friday, the federal government disestablished their land. That means the Mashpee would no longer have sovereignty over their territory. But this isn't the first time. The Mashpee have won and lost their land in court battles several times in just the past decade. They have trouble proving their ancestral right, because in 1930, census workers labeled many Mashpee as members of other races. Not all of their people have been listed as American Indian or Native over the years, and so that created issues in them getting recognition and proving that they are, in fact, a tribal community and a nation of people. When you cannot get recognition, you can't get trust land. You can't get services that some people within Indian country are getting. That can be healthcare, housing. And so the Mashpee fought for quite a while in the courts. They finally got federal recognition, and then they eventually got land and trust. But the court cases just kind of keep happening where the government keeps coming in and trying to take away the trust land. So there's a history of communities being undercounted because their races aren't properly noted down. And then there are the millions of people who are left out of the census because they don't fill it out. I asked Jen why that happens, given how important the census is for funding and representation. And she countered with another question. Well, how do you get a people who have every right to be distrustful and afraid to tell the government, hey, I'm here and I'm Native. What do you think that fear is based in? You know, it's the pollution of our lands. It's the theft of our food sources. We then starve to death or have to eat really unhealthy foods and then have high rates of diabetes and heart disease and such. So there's just so many reasons to be afraid. You know, the census tells stories. That data is used to tell the stories of communities. And when that data is lost for marginalized communities, their stories are not heard, their needs are not heard, and they're not addressed.
Mistrust comes up over and over again as the main reason why Native communities are undercounted in the census. But there are logistical issues, too. Anar Birji, one of Al Jazeera English's TV producers, had a lot to say on that. We're talking with her because she saw firsthand that access, or lack thereof, can lead to an undercount of Native communities, like the Yupik in Alaska. In a place like Alaska, one of the most common barriers is that people don't have a physical mailing address or they won't have internet access. In some of the Yupik villages, people primarily speak Yupik. So that's why census workers there have to go door-to-door to overcome the language barrier. Anar and her team were there in January with the official U.S. census team because that's where the count began this year, two months before the rest of the country. For work, Anar does everything from setting up interviews with presidential candidates to figuring out how to hitch a ride on Alaska's ice highway. Yeah, there's an ice highway. Here's why it came up. We landed in Anchorage and from there flew to Bethel, which is a hub for flying to the remote Yupik villages, including the one where the census started, Tuksuk Bay. Our plans had to be rearranged because flight conditions were not good enough for us to travel. We waited two days to try to get to the village and were not able to reach it. It's also, I should note, so cold there that the river that flows through Bethel freezes over and creates what locals call an ice highway. So (laughs) people travel along the ice highway during winter by snowmobile, also by truck. That kind of sounds scary. Were you traveling on the ice highway? We thought about it. That was part of our plan B when um, we realized that we might not get to Tuksuk Bay. That was also part of the census office's plan B. If they were not able to get to Tuksuk Bay, they were going to go to a village that was accessible via the ice highway. That didn't happen. The Census Bureau director and his team flew to Tuksuk Bay on the only plane available. And no one took the ice highway. That meant Anar and her team stayed stranded at the Bethel airport for two days. But on the bright side, they met someone pretty important to this story while they were there. Donna Bach. I'm a tribal partnership specialist with the U.S. Census. Donna is an Alaska native who is helping the Census Bureau build trust and get the word out in local villages. Donna Bach is from Bethel. She grew up in the area, and she knows the culture. When she spoke to us, she saw her role as someone who could explain that it doesn't take that much time, but also it's something that will be confidential. There's 229 uh, federally recognized tribes throughout Alaska, and it's really important that we, as the U.S. Census, honor their sovereignty We are reaching out to share information about what's at stake in terms of the importance of the census, and we want to make sure that they have all the information they need so that they feel more comfortable filling out that simple questionnaire. So she has done workshops in Alaska Native villages to inform people about the census, to convey how important the census is, but also to build trust. Donna says one important step to overcoming that mistrust is proving that Alaska matters to the census. 
And the Bureau has done that by starting the count there in the season that's best for the community. It's very intentional by design that the U.S. Census prioritizes counting Alaska first. Here's Anar again. Even though flying conditions can be difficult, this is the best time of year to get to these remote villages and to count people because when it's cold, when it's snowy, when it's icy, that's when people are in their villages. When the weather starts to warm up in March, April, and later, people in these Yupik villages in this part of Alaska start to leave their villages to go fish and hunt and to work seasonal jobs. It's important that the count and the enumeration in Alaska begins way in ahead of the April 1st uh, census day because when everything starts melting, people can be traveling all over and be much more difficult to count. How could an accurate count on the census change the day-to-day lives for people in Tuxuk Bay? Why does it matter? One of the things that Donna Bach told us was that The census data is used to allocate funds for infrastructure funding, and that's particularly important to people in Alaska Native villages because almost everything from medicine to food comes into the village via plane. Alaska receives on average $3.2 billion a year, and that's everything from helping maintain the runways in a lot of our remote villages to our entire tribal health care system way out here in southwestern Alaska. There's a landing strip in the village, and maintenance of that landing strip is connected to federal funds, which is connected to census data. So that's really their lifeline to supplies. And another thing that really is connected to census data is education. The Census Bureau also told me that children have been historically undercounted. And in order for there to be a school in an Alaska Native village, there have to be seven children. So for that reason, it's important to get an accurate count. So that's Alaska. What about the other 49 states in the country? There are hundreds of Donna Box across the U.S., partnership specialists that help bridge the gap between the Census Bureau and the communities that don't trust it. Unfortunately, that's a lot of communities, and they each call for a different approach. Historically, almost every minority group in the U.S. has been undercounted. The only group in the U.S. that has been overcounted has been white Americans. So the census is trying to correct that and really make an effort to ensure that there's an accurate count. The census form has been printed up in different languages. The census is putting up billboards in communities. We saw a flyer in the airport advertising the census. They have ads on YouTube. In March 2020, you'll receive an invite to a simple questionnaire. And these ads are not just in English, but in Spanish and other languages. So that they really try to target communities that have been undercounted. Some states are doing more than others to publicize the census. California, for example, is spending hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising and explainer videos. 
But almost half of the states in the U.S. aren't spending a dime. Most of them have state governments led by Republicans. Why does that matter? Here's Anar's analysis. Because census data is tied to the Electoral College representation in Congress and also how electoral districts are drawn up, the census has become a little bit political. To break it down into really basic explanation, groups that are undercounted in the census tend to be racial minorities, and racial minorities tend to vote for Democrats. And so some legislatures might not see that there's a value in reaching out to all these minority groups to make sure that they're accurately counted. We see how the U.S. Census reaches into every part of life, from coast to coast, from our studio in Washington, D.C., to the Mashpee in Massachusetts, to the Yupik in Alaska, and immigrant communities in California and Texas. And although each group has its unique obstacles with the census, there's one concern that unites them all. Mistrust in the government. That's why I want to end this story with a final thought from Jen Deerenwater, because she brought up the issue of trust early in our chat. And at the end of our 90-minute conversation, I had one last question for her. Are you troubled personally? I am. I am, and I, I struggle between trying to be an ethical, good journalist that tells the truth and also being a member of several communities that are undercounted and face hyper-erasure and wanting people to stand up and be seen. And that's a hard balance to make. I feel like it's important that people know what is happening, and but I also want them to be counted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you think you're going to reconcile those two things for yourself when the Census Bureau either comes and knocks on your door or sends you that link, what will you do? Well, I am going to answer the census. I check the box mm-hmm. because I want to be counted. You know, this is my people's lands. We've been here since time immemorial. And even the terms American Indian and Alaska Native, I feel offended by. You know, I am part white, and that white part of my family did choose to be American, but the Cherokee side of my family did not choose to be American. And we're not Indian. We're not from India. You know, so even even when that is an option, it still just doesn't feel accurate, and it feels really offensive to me. And that's The Take. By the way, if we haven't yet convinced you to take the census seriously, maybe this cameo will help. New York City, 2020 is a huge opportunity to make our voice heard. This year, we have That's the rapper Cardi B. She posted this video on her Twitter page telling New Yorkers they need to participate in the census. The census is about power. The video is so characteristically Cardi B. And it's also full of a lot of really great information. Our communities of color. In 2010, only 62 percent of New Yorkers responded to the census with the lowest response rates in our black and brown communities. In 2020, I'm going to tell you something. We can let this happen again. The producer of this episode, Priyanka, finally filled out her census right after watching it. And I plan to do the same right after this. So check it out. 
I'll tweet it from my Twitter page. That's at M-M-B-I-L-A-L. And from the Takes handle at AJ the Take. Mi gente presente. Go to my2020census.gov now and fill out 10 simple questions to get counted. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilbe with me, Malika Bilal, Dina Kispe, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, and Amy Walters. Natalia Aldana is our team's engagement producer. Alex Roldan is the sound designer. The executive producer is Stacey Samuel, and Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs> 